Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow, now streaming on Paramount Plus, only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan. Welcome in to this edition of the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Preem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on the show. It's Thursday when we're recording, which means it's our game preview and our game picks for this weekend's football game between the Oregon Ducks, who are number nine in the country, the Washington State Cougars, who are unranked, but as of two weeks ago, were a top 13 team. Uh, I guess maybe the story of this game is, who is Washington State going to be in this one? Uh, the, the team that's the first four weeks where they look like uh, like Jamie Vinnick on our podcast yesterday said maybe a dark horse candidate to get to Vegas. Or the last two weeks where they've simply just been, to steal a phrase from Deion Sanders, hot garbage. Like their offense has won, had one touchdown in the last two games. Um, Cameron Ward has turned the football over. Uh and last week at home against an improved Arizona team, but still, this is an Arizona team, allowed 44 points to a backup quarterback who looks really good and maybe is going to be their starting quarterback moving forward. But nonetheless, 44 points at home. Um, this is a weird one. Ducks are favored by almost three point or three three scores. Uh, Oregon's coming off a loss, but this is also a team in Washington State that has played Oregon tough for a long stretch of of years uh they're four and four i think in the last eight oregon six and four in the last ten the ducks have won four in a row um but guys last year it took a herculean effort to come back and win yeah no um i'm very curious to see where washington state's at we've talked about it a little bit already this week um, with jamie kind of provided some of the background in terms of the the up and down play, um, and it's actually two touchdowns. I looked into it. The the they went for two on their first score last game and were stopped, so it wasn't a, a two field goal. So two touchdowns in two weeks, which is still not up to standard, considering that was an offense that was averaging in the in the forties going into that stretch. So um, it'll be interesting to see what Oregon presents, I guess, on the field against a Washington State team that right now is kind of reeling and. Oregon wants this game really badly, too, in terms of picking up some momentum after a tough loss. I, I, Oregon's played very, very well pretty much every game this season. I, again, we've, we've talked about it earlier on the show. Uh, I expect they'll play it really well again. Um, what does Washington State have? And I think in terms of when we get to the end of the show with the, the predictions, that's kind of the the element here. I, I, I'm expecting a really strong performance from Oregon. What, what do we see from Washington State? And if Washington State is not – able to play at its best again, how quickly does Oregon separate? How much does Oregon separate? And, and can they win by a much larger margin than, than they have recently in this rivalry? The Arizona loss was very strange. I think I talked about it on Tuesday for that podcast and that, you know, I, I like Arizona. I've been on this podcast for, for at least the last two years now, uh, leading one of the Jedfish hype trains that there is. I like their team. I think they're pretty good, but to lose 44 to 6 at home, it's not great. 
And I'll bring up the same point I made on Tuesday as well. It's a te- this is an opportunity for Oregon to just kind of end the season for Washington State, more or less. This is a Washington State team who, again, gets destroyed at home by Arizona 44-6 to and then has to go on the road to go play Oregon. Not exactly inspiring information that you would be learning if you were on the Washington State football team. So, and Oregon is coming off a dramatic loss. Uh, you know, it was a great game. The polls still love Oregon. The advanced analytics still love Oregon. This is still a very good football team. That's why they're only ninth in the country or ninth in the country. It's another opportunity on national television, nonetheless, to go out and have a good day at the office and put up 50 points. And I kind of expect that's what Oregon is going to do this game. Um, I think Washington State is really struggling on offense. Uh, I know that their offensive line is not great. Uh, there's going to be plenty of opportunities for guys on the edge, specifically Jordan Birch and Brandon Dorless, to get uh, some some opportunities to get to Cam Ward. They had a million pressures last year against Cam Ward, um, despite them barely winning. Um, there's still an opportunity to go about and uh, get some defensive stops here. So. I am interested to see what Washington State looks like. They do get Josh Kelly back, who's going to help on the offense. Um, he's going to be another week that's healthy. He played last weekend against uh, Arizona, but we'll see. I just uh, this is an opportunity for Oregon, and I'm not I'm not entirely sure Washington State is going to be up to the task at hand. And I'm not saying they're going to quit or anything like that, but it's kind of of a reeling program. I don't know if this is like a fork in the road type game for Oregon, but you, they can make a pretty big statement here um, with right. what Jared's talking about. Like if they can come out and it, the game's over essentially by halftime and they keep pouring it on, whether it's the first ga- the first string group or the second or third string group in the second half at some point when they get in, like they walk out of this with a 45 to 17 victory. That's a pretty big statement, I think, from this Oregon team, from their mindset, um, from the talent level. Like this Cougar team's gonna be they're 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 not bad, but Oregon is better. And if they show that, I don't know, this could be a this could be a game where we walk away going, wow, like this team's pretty good to, to bounce back from an emotional loss like that, to play a, a team that's historically given them fits and they just steamrolled them like it says a lot about maybe the coaching says a lot about the, the leadership on the team the players the talent which i guess it's just a natural segue like this week it's been noticeably different even in the few moments each day that we're at practice um it's been different from a intensity standpoint i remember walking off wednesday and Eric was near me and I mentioned him like uh, that was different. Like literally guys getting tackled to the ground, um, full on tackles happening, which I don't think the coaches were wanting. Um, But like they, you could tell this team's pissed off and it's been reflected in how they've practiced uh, to the comment Dan made Monday night, which uh, you know, the 5% faster comment to want, you know, the team wanting to put pads on, on Monday when they didn't have to um, like this, this team's on a mission right now. It feels like. Yeah. I mean, Dan even said on Tuesday, they were a little too, a little too amped up. They had to kind of cool everybody off a little, which is, uh, 
I think you like to hear things like that in terms of where everybody's mindset is. And we, we have a story up on, on DuckTarter.com from, from Tuesday with interviews with several of the players talking about kind of what the last couple of days had been. Marcus, I think we maybe, I can't remember if we summarized all of this, but we did a little bit of summary on this previously of, uh, of just the approach that they brought this week coming off a, a, a loss that obviously didn't sit well and it shouldn't sit well, right? If you're a competitor and you lose a game like that in that situation, you're not going to feel very good. And you could sense even talking to some of the players this week, there was a certain level of agitation. Um, you know, it hadn't, they hadn't, I mean, Dorless even said they hadn't moved on from it. And you could watch Tricos Bridges interview and you got a sense that like there were still moments in that game that he hasn't fully moved on from as you'd expect. Cause it was a game where it was a player two here, a player two there. That that was the difference. And so, if you're a competitor and you point out those, you know, you go through those plays, you go, man, if this would have been, if I just could have turned my head a little bit quicker, if I could have just done this or that, you understand the human element of it. Like, yeah, of course, that still weighs on them. So, yeah, I think you saw that at practice this week, and I think that's part of why I'm so confident Oregon's going to play well. In part, just because Oregon's played really, really well every game at home this season, and honestly, with the exception of. A slow start at Stanford, and I even say at Texas Tech they played pretty well. They just was pretty sloppy, and then in this last game against Washington, I thought they played pretty well. So like I, I like you look at the schedule to this point, like there's not really any reason to think they're going to come out and lay an egg because we haven't seen seen that period. And with everything we've heard from what's going on behind the scenes, um, I think my confidence is even even greater in terms of what what, what we should see on Saturday. Uh, again, uh, I think I talked about this on Tuesday as well. Like it's it's encouraging to hear you know Dan originally talk about the five percent or six percent, whatever he said, better GPS numbers. It's encouraging to hear that they are, they had to tell the guys to chill out for a second on Tuesday and Wednesday. Um, you don't often hear that from football coaches telling the guys to telling the guys to chill out. That just means that they were really passionate really intense on those uh, Tuesday, Wednesday practices. Um, what that entails, again, we're not 100% sure. We, we just got to watch the 15 minutes or so before practice or at the beginning of practice, which there wasn't too much of a difference going on there. Um, it, it seemed a little bit more intense, but again, you know, there's simple drills like mod bracket and, and the Mamba drill where it's one-on-one. So it's kind of hard to gain uh, a real perspective of how more intense uh, practice like that is. But Reading between the lines, it seems like the rest of the practices on Tuesday and Wednesday were intense. They probably had to, uh, you know, I mean, Dan literally said they had to get some guys and kind of separate it, that they were too intense. They were playing with too much passion. So I think that's a positive thing heading into this game. This is what you need to come back from a loss like that and have an opportunity and go seize that opportunity, like we were saying earlier at this game against Washington State. Um, if a team didn't come out this week and practice with intensity. Uh, it honestly wouldn't be surprising, but not this Oregon team. Like that's not what they were going to do. And with Dan and, and Charge, that's never really how Oregon has been. Um, they've gotten up for every game. I don't really think there's been moments where they've like played down to competition. I think we talked about this again on Tuesday. It's like when the, the, the worst start that they've had in a game was against Washington State last year, which was their second quote-unquote true road game when they went to Atlanta against Georgia. I'm going to call that a road game because it was a road game. Um, but that was their second road game under Dan Lanning. And so that was their worst start. And since then, they've come out. They've come out firing basically every game. Uh, you know, Stanford was a slow start, like Eric said, but they got back on top of it. So, And at home, I don't remember there being a slow start at home. They, they come out and they take the juice and they run with it. So, I, again, like I've, we'll get to our predictions later, but – 
I don't think this is going to be close. And uh, it's because of some of those reasons of taking the intensity and the frustrations, honestly, out on Washington State. And then hopefully, you know, taking some of them and then going to Utah the week later. I think maybe the last slow start they've had, which was at home, probably Utah. And some of that, or most of that was because of Bo Nix's injury. They were so limited what they could do. Mm-hmm. And then right. before that, probably the Washington game. Because if you remember, like, that game was back and forth. They scored a bunch. But the first half, it was like 14 to 7 or something like that. Like, it was not what we expected. It reflected they, um... what the actual score was like. They messed up on the goal line a couple of times, and that's what did them yes. in. I still feel like they they did well. They moved the ball offensively, yes. but they just uh, they just didn't score. Um, but to your point, yeah, it's like two, three times maybe in the last two years at home, and really it's like this year, kinda, uh, you know, uh, yeah. maybe it's a low a slow start. This year, this year though, they've just that's why I feel really confident, right? We haven't seen mm-hmm. a start like that at home at all, and even the games on the road, like. As I said, the Stanford game wasn't ideal just because you didn't score in the first quarter, but they didn't start terribly against Texas Tech or Washington. I mean, like it wasn't those weren't atrocious starts. They're scoring on their second drives both time. I think so. Right. Oh, we caught Matt right there in a water drink. Bad timing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tough. Sorry. Sorry. As you can tell, my voice is gone. So a little, little extra water this morning. Um, all right, let's go into some just some things that we're we're watching for. Um, I'll start us off here. Uh, I don't know if you guys, I'm sure you guys have looked at PFF and just Washington State's stuff. Um, their tackles, good God. They have graded absolutely atrociously uh, in, in this uh, game. It's not great. Really bad. Uh, I'm not going to try and pronounce the first name here, but Faamoe, uh, one of their, their, I think their right tackle um, yeah. is their is their best and he just grades at 56.8 pass block grade. And then their left tackle SA Pole at 31.9. Yeah. Um I probably agree. why Cameron Ward takes 13 steps back before he throws <laughs> the football. <laughs> to quote Brandon Dorless. Um this right here could be the game. If Birch, Dorless, Mateo Tuioti, Purchase, Funa, Winston. Like if that group off the edge, I, I don't I don't want to say that they should dominate, but it's almost kind of like if you guys are as good as we think you are and as good as the stats have, have shown you to be through the first six games of the season, you probably should dominate this game. Like these guys are not good at protecting the quarterback. And I wonder how many times I, I was expecting like to go look at the sack numbers after I saw this and, and think Washington state's near the bottom. They're not, they're like 66th in the country. And that's probably because Cameron Ward is so good at escaping pressure and getting, you know, getting away from it, making up for the lack of protection. Um, but this, this almost to me, this is the game. If these guys can, fend off Oregon's pressure long enough to allow Ward time to either improvise or get the playoff, you know, Washington state's offense could have some success and could, could keep them in this game. But if they can't, if, if, if they can't do their jobs and Oregon can take advantage of this mismatch, this game will get over very, very quickly as Jared 
maybe said that this this could go that way. Could it be Colorado 2.0, right? Where, where Oregon just overpowers them up front. I'm not saying it's going to be 42 to nothing in the fourth right. quarter. But like, could, could that be what happens? Similar and, outcome. That kind of thing where, where Colorado just can't hold up and Oregon's onslaught of pressure gets there and, and war. I mean, to me, kind of a, a, a slight attachment to this would be like if Oregon's corners can, because a lot of what war does is, is the ball comes out really fast and that counters some of that pressure that Matt brought up the other point about why it's hard to bring down Ward, which is he's just really, really good in space. That's why players all week have been talking about that from a defensive side. But like, it might just be as simple as can Oregon's corners stay with Washington State for three seconds on these plays, not give him anywhere to go with the ball. And then that forces it just to be a scramble drill from there. And then can you win kind of playing backyard football? Like that's kind of what I'm looking at. Um, but I think that's a great place to start. And I kind of building right off of that is, is to me, like, is Washington State even going to try to run the football? Like, have you looked at what they've done so far in conference play? It's, it's pretty abysmal. 22 carries, 35 yards against Arizona. 19 carries, 12 yards against UCLA. 30 for 106 against Oregon State. Like, they just aren't able to run the football. And if you, I mean, they're, then they're trying, as, as Jamie said earlier this week. Like, they're still averaging like 25 rush attempts per game. Some of those probably do include sacks, but like they're making an effort to do it. They're just having no success. It's two consecutive weeks where they've been held beneath like 40 yards rushing, you know? So if Oregon's defense, which is probably about as good of a rush defense as there is in this conference, UCLA, I think statistically is better. Utah has been, I think their numbers are skewed a little bit. I think they're still right at the top though. Um, like that can also be a component. Like if it comes down to being like, hey, Cam, we're not, you're going to face third and seven every down and our tackles can't protect you from those guys and your receivers can't get open because Oregon is shutting their guys down. Good luck. Like that's just not a winning proposition for Cam Ward. He has asked to do way too much. So if, if Washington State can run the ball a little bit more effectively, kind of like what we saw from Washington, which was a surprise, especially in that first half where they were really running off tackle with success. Maybe that buys Ward some time. Maybe Oregon has to change what it's doing defensively again to counter, kind of like what they did against Washington. So that's that's sort of me as the chess match there when Oregon's on, on defense is, is, is kind of how quickly can you force Ward to get it out and can you stop him from having anywhere to go with the ball and it becomes kind of this, this Shador Sanders thing once again where he's running around but he doesn't really have anywhere to go with the football. This is what I was going to point out as well this offensive line catastrophe that is Washington State's. Um, it's bad. Uh, UCLA, who, again, is one of the, the, the best pass rushers in the Pac-12, and Laiatu Latu, is that how we say it? I feel like I've heard this before. I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm bad You're, with the uh, Polynesian pronunciations. I like the, I, Latu is correct. It's, it, I can't remember oh, if the first thanks. name. It's the, the four-letter word is correct? Good. Go me. The, the, the other one is either Leatu or Leatu. I, I, I don't know. But no. Latu. Anyways. Latu. Latu. Quite good. First-round pick, almost guaranteed at this point. Uh, he had 10 pressures by himself against Washington State. Um, the team as a whole had 35 Oregon, what was the number, Eric? How many did they have last year against Washington State? 37? Exactly. 37. This Oregon defense is much better than it was last year. Yeah. 
they also have they know the scheme they have guys who fit the scheme they have player personnel finally they have dudes who can rush the passer on their own they have Jordan Birch, who's winning 21% of his matchups this year and is getting a lot of little bit of little little bit of draft buzz this year. Um I, I think that this could be the game. And I'm again, like you guys are saying, the Colorado and Oregon idea where they just can't protect the quarterback. Yeah, Cam Ward's gonna have a long day at the office. Um, they are gonna get to him a lot. And it all depends on if they can take him down, which Brandon Doyle has talked about a lot during his interview on Tuesday. Uh, just like look he's annoying he's he's hard to get bring down he's he's just a tough sob out there and that was last year i have a feeling that oregon as a significantly better tackling team than they were last season are going to have maybe as many equal or more opportunities to bring cam more down and i think they're they're going to get to him more often than not and bring him down more often than not um the thing about the colorado game that I thought was really impressive was almost every sack opportunity that Oregon had, there were two or three guys there. It was like if Shador yeah. Sanders missed the first dude, second guy was right there. And like I think specifically about Tatum Tuioti's first sack, you know, Blake Purchase comes around the edge and forces him out. And Shador makes a good move to get around Purchase and then gets drilled by Tatum Tuioti right there. And I think that this Oregon defensive line is going to have a chance to do that again, where they're going to bring multiple guys off the edge. Um, for how often Washington State passes, I'd expect to see the snap counts of Tuioti, of Purchase, of Mateo, of Birch, uh, just their absolute true edge rushers, not necessarily Mace Funa, who's a much better defender against the run off the edge. I would expect the edge rushers in the passing situations to to do much better. Um, like Washington State... Uh, I had the number up just a second ago. I think it was like 25 or 28 percent of their true pass snap or true pass sets. They're still allowing pressures, which is very bad for for those who are unaware. Like that is absolutely not what you want to do. And Oregon's going to have the personnel to do it. So Matt, I'm glad you you started this conversation um, about the offensive line because I think that's the major uh, turning point in this game, potentially. Um, I just think that Oregon's going to be able to get to the quarterback and have a situation like Shador Sanders where um, there could be mistakes made. And under-pressure quarterbacks are always more likely to, to give up the football, whether it be a fumble, whether it be an interception. Um, I just think that Oregon's defensive line is going to get home and then life for the secondary is going to be much easier, just like it has been more or less all season. Are we at all like concerned offensively for Oregon? Like, is is this simply just a game where, no. hey, do your job defensively and you walk away because they're so good offensively? Like, Oregon is just on. It's almost automatic, especially at home. To, like to what Jared's point earlier in the show, just I I, I kind of don't have any like offensive concerns for Oregon in this game. Averaging fifty two points per game at home. Every single one of the games they've had has been off to like an incredible start. I think I, I think I had the splits at one point. It was like their first game against Portland State. I think every single Bo Nix led drive was a touchdown. There was like eight or nine against Hawaii. I think it was five of seven drives to start the game were touchdowns against Colorado. I think it was six of seven were touchdowns. So no, I'm not concerned. I did have two matchups in particular I wanted to highlight. Um, We'll just, I'll start with the one that we were just kind of relates to what we were just talking about. The inverse of the pressure stuff 
Josh mm-hmm. Connerly last week against Washington, we talked about the PFF grade. We didn't mention he was credited with six pressures allowed by Washington, no sacks, one hit. So he was not hit at his best. And this week, it, it's not an easier matchup by any means with Ron Stone Jr., who or Brennan Jackson. They both those guys can kind of come off the edge, but Stone Jr. is typically attacking left tackles, at least from what I've seen this year. Um, that'll be a matchup to watch. Kind of another interesting one where Connerly is a first-year starter. Stone's a sixth-year player who started the last four years at Washington State. So it's a really experienced veteran, explosive pass rusher against a, a really, really athletic, young, talented left tackle, but one who's kind of, I don't want to say he's been the weak link because I think Oregon's offensive line has played really, really well. But if you were to point to somebody, it would be that left side. Like Jackson Powers Johnson, for a reason, was an AP midseason All-American. I think Stephen Jones has quietly been pretty darn good. And Johnny Cornelius has probably, we probably haven't talked enough about how good he's been, even though last game wasn't, according to PFF, at least his best. So that would highlight that. And then the other one, not that I have huge concerns, but Shaw Smith-Wade's, I think, the best corner Troy Franklin has faced all year. Um, PFF's number four ranked corner uh, in the conference. Big, rangy guy. Even a year ago, not that they, he like won a bunch of reps, but like he was a player that you will remember in terms of how much he played and his value for them. Mm-hmm. No one's going to take Troy Franklin off the board. Like That's just not happening. But Troy, like, let's say Troy has a game where he only has four catches for 75 yards. I'm not saying they're, I'm not even creating a scenario where I think they're losing because we'll get to score predictions in a moment. But I'm just kind of laying it out here. Like, I would be curious to hear, like, what's Oregon's counterpunch through the air if Troy is kind of, for his standards, at least bottled up and maybe they can only get him the ball three or four times for 50, 60, 70 yards as opposed to eight times for 140. Um, like what? What? Who? Who becomes the next target? Where do they go? Where does Bo kind of lock in next? What kind of um, supplementary receivers step up? Would be my, my my question there. So that's not a concern as much as it is like a curiosity to see like okay right. like if, if Smith Wade actually can kind of slow some of the the Troy Franklin production, like where where do they turn next? They turn to the ground because that's where yes. Oregon has a big advantage here. Um, Washington State's interior front just isn't great. I think that teams can easily run through them. Um, I think we talked about this on Tuesday as well as an opportunity for Oregon to go in there and kind of you know push some people around. Um, against Oregon State, Washington State's defense allowed 242 yards on the ground, 6.2 yards per carry, 181 to UCLA, 3.4. So did a little bit better there, but then went back to Arizona, who – really doesn't have a great offensive line and, and they averaged 4.7 yards on 37 carries for 174 yards. Um, this is an opportunity for Oregon. If they, if let's say Troy Franklin does have a, a, a bad day and is covered well and Washington state uh, keys him up and gets good coverage and doubles him and does all of these things. And Bo, you know, kind of goes to Gary Bryan and Tess Johnson and Treshawn Holden, but they're not really doing a lot. Shoot, man, they'll just jump in 13 personnel, maybe even some jumbo stuff and just run the ball down their throat because uh, I think that's going to happen. I think there's going to be moments where Oregon's going to have or, you know, like maybe have uh, four minutes left in the half and get the ball out of out of the second half and just say, all right, well, we're going to end this half with a touchdown and uh, we're going to do it by running the ball. Um, And I think that's going to happen at least once this game where they just say, all right, whatever, 13 personnel, uh, either block it or don't like good luck. and. So I think that's immediately where they turn to. Um, I, you know, Tez Johnson had a really good day at the office on against Washington, 
Um, again, like seven or eight receptions for nearly 100 yards. Uh, no touchdown, unfortunately for me, but good day. Uh, Gary Bryant missed most of the second half, most of the first half after taking a shot on a kickoff return. So his snaps were way down. That takes a more explosive player out of the offense and inserts Treshawn Holden, who is not very explosive of a player, but still a good one at that, who is more of a red zone threat than a middle of the field threat. Yep. So I think Gary could be an option here, especially if they put a lot of attention on Troy because um, Gary has been productive. He's been a good receiver uh, during his time at Oregon here. Um, so I think that there are other options, but not a or one a other or excuse me, one B other than one a Troy is clearly running the ball and just making this a 21 to nothing game because they're using a trillion seconds off the clock. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll dive into our bold predictions, which we will say they're bold. Uh, Uh-oh. <laughs> and then uh, end it with our game pick. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. All right, welcome back to the Yachts and Audible's podcast. Uh, I teased it there, bold picks, because, fellas, it was a rough week for us last week. Um, These were supposed to be bold. Did we get any? Between the three of us, we did not get one correct. Yeah, I didn't think so. (laughs) No. No. Now, some of these are because maybe they were too bold. A little bit bit better than expected. Like Jared, for instance, said – Washington would have the, the the most yards Oregon's defense has allowed all season long. That did not happen because Oregon's defense no. played probably better than we anticipated. So some of these were single me bad. out. Why don't you? <laughs> not going to talk about anybody else's. Come on, <laughs> I'm praising. I'm giving you credit. Like you know, <laughs> no, just a good with one. <laughs> ours ours were bad. Like the ones that oh. we didn't hit. Like. But I mean, I wasn't no, that I'm far. Just off. I wasn't that far off, but yeah, I know they didn't hit at all. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I was like twenty yards from Bo having his career, you know, day, uh, game in a top ten matchup. Uh, don't ask him, by the way, what his record is because <laughs> that'll piss yeah, him no. off. Um, but yeah, not not a not a good standing here. Uh, oh, for four for all of us. So the standings don't change there. Game predictions. Uh, Eric and I both get ties. Um, I get a push because I predicted Oregon would would win straight up, so I lost that one. But they pushed by the the betting line of three. Eric predicted a three point win, and that's what happened. So he gets a push on that one. It it sucks. I don't get credit for when I nailed the <laughs> score. I mean, not that I was yeah. again. I don't know. But you do get points for the straight up bet. Jared did, did. get the straight up bet as well. Uh, but Jared lost on the spread because he said four, which sucks. And they won by three. Uh, so, all right. Yep. Uh, so nothing, nothing literally changes in any of the, of, of the leaderboard stuff here. 
Uh, offensive team, we'll start here. Um, Oregon's offense has been one of the best in the entire country. They rank number one overall in, in yards per game, just over 553 yards. Uh, they're fourth in the country in yards per play at 7.74. Um, in this game last year, Oregon hit 624. I don't think they're going to do that again on Saturday. But I'm going to predict a big day on the off from the offense, and they hit 550 yards or more in this game. Um, believe it or not, they've only done that twice. Portland State, when they went for like 720, and then I believe – uh, the other one was the Colorado game. Um, so they're actually not, they haven't gone over 550 a lot, even though they're averaging 553. It's just because of a 700 yard performance week one against Portland State. So give me 550 or more yards for Oregon's offense. Oregon's offense, by the way, number one nationally in scoring offense and total offense coming off a loss yep. to Washington. So, uh, a lot of that was USC just completely imploding against Notre Dame, but because they were they were ahead of Oregon in a couple of those. Last time Oregon scored forty five or more points in this series, do you guys know? No. Ten years ago, it's been ten years since they've go. done that, which is surprising. So, and I and I know I, I so I'm going to say they're going to score at least forty five points in this football game. Um, I don't think that's like sounds like the most bold-ish thing ever, but the fact that they haven't done it in 10 years against Washington State, and there's been some really good offensive teams mixed in, including last year's team. Um, so I'll go 45 or more points here against the Cougars. I've been kind of alluding to it all podcasts, all 32 minutes of this, um, that I just kind of feel bad for Washington State that they have to play Oregon out of this tremendously emotional game that Oregon wants to put themselves back on the map. I think Oregon's going to put up over 600 yards offense. They're going to have the second highest of the year uh, behind the Portland State, the 719 that Matt mentioned earlier. So I'm going to one-up Matt just a little bit. But regardless, I still think 624 may be in reach. I don't know. But uh, I, I just, again, I, I do kind of feel bad for Washington State that it's like, <laughs> hey, you get to go play a top 10 team after getting absolutely shelled at home against a team that wants to prove the whole world that they're still way better than everybody else thinks. And uh, good luck. Oh, oh, and also you're on the road. Yeah. Oh, good luck. yeah. Um, and, you got, and you've been terrible on the road so far this year. So good luck. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, uh, offensive player prediction of the game. Uh, this is a little bit of a bold one. Uh, I'm going to take Jordan James, I'm going to do a two-player prop here, or Ooh. maybe just a one-player, but I'm going to involve two. I think Jordan James will finish the day with more rushing yards than Bucky Irving. Ah, I like that. Um, I don't really have a reason behind this. just kind of sounded good in my head. Maybe it'll be such a blowout that Jordan James will get a significant portion of the carries, and then Bucky will just ride pine. Um, but, yeah, no, give me Jordan James more rushing yards than Bucky Irving. I'm into that one. I, 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 this is, I guess, slightly off topic. Do we think a third running back like emerges and sees the field outside of garbage time, or are we just? I, it kind of feels no. like this is just a two man, a two man gig the rest of the way. Yeah, seems like a two man scramble. Yeah, it's what I said at the beginning. If they were good enough, they were. They would be. It would have been a four man rotation, not a three man. They're they're just not there. My individual, I've got, and this kind of surprised me a little bit. Maybe, maybe it shouldn't, but Bo hasn't had a five-touchdown game this year. He had four 
a season ago. Um, so I think he's going to have a five-touchdown game. Uh, uh, he got pretty close against Stanford and Colorado at four in both of those. Um, part of that is he just hasn't been running the ball around the re- you know the goal line, which was something he had 14 rushing touchdowns a year ago. And I think I looked it up. I think 10 or 11 of those were inside the five-yard line, basically quarterback sneaks. I don't know if we'll get back to that on Saturday, in part because the run game isn't really broken in terms of just handing it off to one of those dynamic running backs around the goal line. But I think he's going to have a big day. I think he's going to be motivated, uh, obviously, to, to, to show. I mean, he played really, really well in Seattle. I mean, it's, it's really hard. There's not much to nitpick there. I think he's going to have another awesome game. I, I, think, I think we're going to come out of this next couple of stretch of games saying it's going to be hard for Bo to really – unseat Penix unless he beats him in the conference championship game but we're going to be talking about how he's really playing his best now and he's giving himself a chance to at least be invited to New York City all right my turn uh I'm gonna do we've we've done some of these and they haven't played out I've done Patrick Herbert Nick Eric has done Tez Johnson I think I've even done Tez Johnson too I have and all three of them haven't happened uh, but I'm going to do it again. This might be the last one. Uh, Gary Bryant last week didn't have a single catch. That was only the fourth time in his career here or at USC that he played in a game and didn't have a catch. 24 career games to his name. That won't happen this weekend uh, again. It won't be number five. So give me Gary Bryant for three catches, 45 yards, and a touchdown in this one. He hasn't done much since probably week – two or three, um, it feels like. Uh, he had a 100-yard performance and I think, what, two or one touchdown against Portland State. But um, he's kind of cooled off since the first two or three weeks of the season. I think that kind of jumps back up again for Oregon. Gary Bryant, three catches, 45 yards, and a touchdown. That's pretty. I like that one, Matt, because it speaks to what we were talking about earlier with if Smith Wade for Washington State can slow some of the Troy Franklin stuff, somebody else has to be the – you know, the recipient of that. And, and right. as, as uh, Jared said, I think Gary's a pretty good pick. All right. Uh, team defense. Um, last season at Washington State, Oregon was able to get to Cameron Ward an impressive five times, considering how quick he gets the ball out. Uh, Cougars like to get the ball out quick, which makes it harder. Um, I think the Ducks are going to be on the backfield again. We talked about it the front end of this podcast, which is how atrocious their tackles have been this season. Um, I think Oregon takes advantage of that. And Dorless talked a lot about how last year he was trying to just kill Cameron Ward, hit him as you know, uh. kill as in hit him really hard and just you know give everything he had to, you know to, into the hit. Whereas now this season, it's been communicated to him like, hey, it's important to get big hits, yeah, but it's more important to wrap up and get the guy down. Make sure you don't miss. Uh, and I think that's going to translate onto the football field, not just for Brandon Dorless, but for the entire defense. And they're going to keep him pretty much in check. So I'm going to take a, a gamble here. Four or more sacks uh, for Oregon's defense in this game. Those sort of sacks, those pressures, which we've talked about all game or all show, I should say, um, can lead to turnovers. Washington State has been very turnover prone. Cameron Ward in particular has been of late. They've averaged three turnovers lost the last three games in conference play. Um, had four against UCLA in, that, in what was a one-score game that they, you know, that's that was the difference. I think this week similar stuff happens. I think Oregon forces three or more turnovers. Um, 
they haven't had a lot of forced fumbles. They haven't, Oregon hasn't really forced a ton of turnovers in, just in general this year. Um, even the one against Penix last week was more of a, a Dunze just kind of slipped coming out of his route or there was a miscommunication more than it was like an awesome defensive play, not to take anything away from Julio because he still had to catch the ball. But I think this week they kind of get right. I think they're going to force three or more turnovers. Like I said, Washington State's not been great there. And Penix all the year hasn't thrown a ton of interceptions. I think he said three the last couple of weeks, but he's he's been kind of fumble prone. If you look kind of closely, I think he's had four or five all that he's lost this season. So uh, I think that's an area where Oregon could potentially create separation just from turning turning the Cougars over. Yeah, I, I had basically I had the same thing through more turnovers. Um, share it. Let's just sh- share it with me, Jared. Why don't we just take this one together? Huh? No, that's fine. Uh, I'll I'll do it. Um, yeah, no, Oregon hasn't done well in the turnover department ever since Tech, and uh, I think Dan has talked a couple times like uh oh, turnovers they come in bunches like i think that's just more of like a an optimistic perspective that like they're, they're coming i promise they're coming and then they're gonna get a bunch of them um i predicted this turnover thing two or three times this year hasn't worked unfortunately uh but we're gonna do it again and uh i just think that the pressure like i was kind of alluding at earlier as well um the pressure is gonna get there Birch, Dorless, all these fellas are going to have their opportunity to go get Cam Ward. Um, and that could lead to a fumble, like Eric was talking about. That could lead to an interception. That could lead to a tip ball. That could, you know, all these options that uh, Oregon will hopefully have the chance of putting their hands on and getting to the football. So three or more intercept, three or more turnovers. Doesn't matter how it happens, but I'm going to, we're going to do it. We're going to ride into this together. And, uh, yeah, we'll see how that goes. Shaking your hand, Jared. Shaking your hand. <laughs> um, defensive uh, individual prediction. Um, I went through the last couple Washington State game logs, saw who their leading tacklers were for UCLA and Oregon State and Arizona. A lot of safeties, a lot of cornerbacks. No real surprise there. Uh, I thought about going with Steve Stevens, because he's been at the top of some tackle charts the last couple of games. But I'm going to go Taishim Johnson, and I'm going to say he has a rather good day. Uh, I'm going to say he gets over nine and a half tackles, uh, which would probably mean he's leading the team. But I'm going to have Taishim with with 10 tackles uh, this week. I just think it's a very similar idea to Washington and Texas Tech. There's just going to be a lot of opportunities. There's going to be Taishim's going to be around the ball a lot. Um, the nice thing for Taishim Johnson is that a lot of Washington State's receivers aren't aren't as good as Washington's wide receivers. Oh. He's going to have more fair matchups and not have to go against dudes who are six foot two and can jump out of the out of the field, not the gym, and uh, make catches anywhere. Uh, so I, I feel good about Taishim's opportunities this game. So give me over nine and a half tackles. I'm going to take the guy that Jared thought about taking, Steve, in part because I think it's important to kind of acknowledge that he's led the team in tackles two straight weeks. He's played, I think, probably his best football of his career the last couple of weeks. Easily, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, PFF now has him as Oregon's best defensive player over 130 snaps. Taki has the best PFF grade overall for an Oregon defensive player, but they rotate so much up front. I think Taki still played like close to 120. I don't have the numbers off the top of my head. Um, but Steve has certainly been impressive in the way he's played the last couple of weeks. So 
I'm going to say he's going to finish with seven tackles or more, which is what he finished with last week. He had eight against Stanford, which was tied a career high. So I think three straight games with seven or more tackles for Steve. And I think he's going to lead the team in tackles again, too. All right. Well, that was mine. I said six, but uh, you went seven. Um, so let me, let me adjust this real, real quick. I'm, I'm just going to go individual. Um, give me Evan Williams getting credit for one and a half tackles for loss <laughs> in, the, in this game. Um, I, I think there's an opportunity that maybe he comes up on some spies of Cameron Ward or cleans up some tackle, you know, some, he breaks containment from a doorless, you know, pressure 13 yards behind the line of scrimmage and maybe doesn't get credited fully for a sack by himself, but cleans it up and prevents Cameron Ward from getting a big gain. And instead it's like a one yard loss or something of that nature. Um, So Cameron, uh, Cam, uh, Evan Williams with, one and a half tackles for loss in this game. So I had Steve Stevens as well. I, I think your point is, is correct. He is playing his best football and it's pretty cool to see because last yeah. year he was just a guy and now he's, you know, his, his snaps are down. Although it hasn't been the case the last two weeks, they're actually going way up. Yep. Um, but he's playing his best football. So all right, uh, score predictions here. I actually don't have one written down. Oh, Matt. <laughs> Improvisation. What do you Improvisation got? Improvisation here. Um, I've gone back and forth um, with a cover or or not. I think Oregon gets out to a big lead, but I do wonder does if, if Oregon pulls its second string, you know, its starters and its second and third string guys get in, does the drop off – impact the score here a little bit 20 and a half i think is is the margin right now for from a sports perspective but i'm gonna do a cover i think they cover i think we get one of oregon's better games of the season they're at home so that helps Um, i think this team's pretty fired up i think we're gonna get something similar to what we saw of colorado um so give me oregon 42 washington state 17. No, no earmuff warning this time. I don't need to curse. Um, Good. <laughs> yeah. Save, save that for Jared if he wants to. Um, I'm here for it. All right, cool. I'll, I'll, I'll let you be the one. No, I, I think Oregon wins pretty convincingly. I, I do have a score written down, Matt, so I, I will just roll with what I wrote, which was Oregon 45, Washington State 20. Um, like you, I'm kind of thinking there's going to be a little late Washington State offensive action here. I think Oregon might be up like 45 13, 45, yeah. 10. Washington State scores a couple late. I, I, I'm, I think we're coming out of this game going like, okay, corner turn, or yeah, corner turn by Oregon. They, they, they took care of business. They did what we wanted. We saw what we needed to see out of them coming off of that emotional loss to Washington. I, I think we're gonna leave this game feeling like, okay, they've got some momentum now as they hit the road for what will be probably the most difficult environment the rest of the way, not probably, I think the most difficult environment the rest of the way by a pretty good margin in Salt Lake. I think this will set you up to have some optimism going into that one. I think Oregon's going to be really, really uh, motivated to, to make a statement. I think the offense will continue to do what it's been doing all year, home and away, but especially at home. And I think the defense is, we've kind of talked it out in terms of the blueprint for this. I think they're going to make Cam Ward have a really tough day. They're going to make it so basically it's, unless Cam Ward is just making, 
the most incredible individual plays over and over again, there's just not enough for Washington State to to hang around. So I think it's going to be a decisive 45 to 20. It's a good call. I got a 45 21. Ah! Um, I actually, I actually thought about going uh, higher on Oregon um, for the same reasons that I've been talking about. Uh, I just, my heart of hearts believes that Dan Lanning is going to get this team, and you know he knows how to motivate them. We all saw the Colorado clip, and you know that was the talk of the town for a week. But what that does is that motivates the team. That gets them on those hot starts. I don't know what Dan is going to say this time around. Maybe something like, "These idiots are such a bad team that you know the Pac-12 and the Big 12 <laughs> don't even want them." I don't know. Whatever, whatever Dan wants to say, like he's going to get the team motivated. And especially coming off the loss, like I talked about, like I feel bad for Washington State. I do, and that's why I even thought about going higher than forty-five to twenty-one. But I think a lot of the game comes down to the trenches. Um, when you win one side, that obviously helps. When you win both sides, the game should be yours. Um, you know, Washington last week won their side of the defensive trenches. I thought they got good pressure on Knicks and made his life difficult. Um, but also, uh, at least on just on pass rushes, but Oregon's offensive line also did really good on run rundowns. So there was a very even even match uh, team there going against each other, which is why the score was so close. Uh, I don't I don't think it's going to be the same way uh, this time around. I think Oregon's defensive line is going to have a huge advantage, and I think Oregon's offensive line is going to have somewhat of an advantage. I think Bob Stone, who's my age is is going to be fine and he's going to provide a big difficulty to Connerly or Cornelius whoever whatever side of the line he lines up on and then Jackson as well is a good defender in his own right i think he leads the team actually in sacks or sacks it's just not going to be enough and i think Oregon's going to be able to run the ball i think they're going to be able to throw the ball i think they're going to be able to just run um theoretically and or theoretically and literally all over washington state so maybe 45 21 um would not be surprised if the Ducks' final score ended in a five either. But just for posterity's sake, I'll keep it 45. I was just going to say that. Like, I, I I, gave my score. I'm not going to change it. But, like, I kind of regret not going higher. I I think there's a think real – yeah. I think there's a real chance that they hit 50. And it's – this. I, it's going to be a bloodbath. I think it's, this is going to be pretty bad. We're, yeah, we're, I we're think pretty, pretty impressive. Football is one of the very few sports, professionally or not professionally, um, where you get an emotional loss, and then the next week is just an absolute butt kicking because there's only so many games. It's not like, you know, maybe for postseason baseball or something like that, but there's not as many games where um, a, a team's like, all right, well, we only got one more shot at this, so we got to put it all to the wall here. Uh, this is this is what Oregon has now. They have to go all to the wall. And uh, I think that's going to happen beginning this Saturday against Wazoo. All right. It's going to do it for us here on the Austin Audible's podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. Next time you hear from us, we'll be back in these seats Saturday evening, recapping Oregon, Washington state, 1230 kickoff on ABC. Hope you guys enjoy the game until then. You've been listening to the Austin Audible's podcast. Talk to you later folks. Peace.